From born in the USA to death to my hometown, this is you springing Springsteen on my bean. The comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things Bruce, this is good rock and roll. Uh, music. Hey, welcome to the show. What song is that? It's a song called, uh, it's by Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Called, it's off the River album. Is that Cadillac Ranch? <laughs> it is Cadillac Ranch. That really is sticking as our, yep, theme, that's song. our new theme song. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> ah, welcome back to the show. This is You Spring and Springsteen on My Bean. And uh, my name is Scott Ackerman. And uh, across from me, I would say at my two. Oh, military terms. Yeah. You're okay. not at my six. I'd prefer you at my six. Oh, you would. <laughs> Just backing me up, I mean. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, here at my two, you know him as one of the stars, one of the many stars, star-studded cast in the movie Krampus. Uh, I'm still on strike. Yeah. I, I mean, know I, that I have been on one str- of one of your unions is now not. I have on been strike. on strike from SAG for <laughs> for several years. For years, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh my gosh. Oh, Are you that okay? Took a lot out of me. Are you alright? Oh God. Um, welcome to the show. This is Adam Scott over here. Hello, Adam. Who do you want Hi. to say hello to? Oh, what's your middle name? David. Cool. Why? Just wait, is writing? this an episode of What's Your Middle Name? Yeah. It just takes some time to Hey everyone, welcome to What's Your Middle Name? This is Scott. And this is Scott. And we're Finding out people's middle names. It's a great, you know what it is? It's a great question. It's a great, uh, I, I don't know if you know or use this term, icebreaker. That's right. A lot of times uh, when you're making a mixed drink, yep. you'll uh, go into your ice machine mm-hmm. and you'll step inside. Yeah. And I have a full the walk-in, a ice, walk-in maker. ice machine. But it they the walk-in ice makers they only make they make one giant block of ice. Giant block of ice. It's as big as Frosty the Snowman his dang self. It it's in fact in the shape of Frosty the Snowman. It is, yeah, yeah. Which we have makes a mold. Scary. Yeah, very scary. It's I mean, it's honestly a little more like uh an evil snowman. I don't know 100%. why I had the mold made this way. Yeah, yours has fangs, mm-hmm. frowning lines, and blood coming out of its eyes. Yeah, uh, I mean it's ice, but it's blood. Co- that's why I said blood coming out, out of, of its his ice. ice. Yes, exactly. And also uh, blood coming out of his ice back there. Hey, hey. Uh, but yeah, you'll walk in there and you'll be like, okay, I just want a little bit of ice. I don't want this full frosty the snowman inside my my cup. Well, it wouldn't fit unless you had a giant Frosty the Snowman sized cup built to eleven tenth scale, so that it could fit inside. Right. Um, which I do. You know that. Well, yeah. I mean, you have one of those, but sure. everyone else who has a walk-in Frosty the Snowman sized ice closet does probably doesn't have one. And honestly, I wish I could get rid of some of the ones I have because you have to buy them in bulk. You have to buy thirty-two cups. They're huge. They're huge. They're taking up so much. And they space. don't stack. No, no, of course not. Not with that body. Nope. They sit. They the body stand, is stacked. They stand. Oh, is it ever? They stand side by side. Side by side. Yes. At attention. You have 
an entire room of your house just to hold your Frosty the Snowman 11 tenths sized <laughs> cups. It is excruciating right now. And I wish I could get rid of them. But, you know, a lot of these people with walk-in ice makers, yeah. they, don't have, uh, they don't have the space. And I happen to have the space. Which is really, really nice. It's really convenient. But uh, you'll- nursery, nope. That's nope. where I keep my uh, Frosty right. the Snowman. Exactly. Tenths. Yeah. So are you going to have to sleep cup. standing up next to them? That's right. But that's that's a valuable skill is to to be able to sleep standing up. Oh man, I'm so glad I learned how to do that in college. And here's how you do it in college. Well, yeah, you take the college course how take to sleep col- standing yeah, up. One hundred one. There, done. Okay, now if you're not in college, well, it's a long, laborious process. Yeah. You have to, first of all, take your bed and you have to tilt it up so it's vertical. So it's perpendicular to your floor. That's right. That's step one. And you're not even in it at that point. Yep. There are 19 steps. Yeah. Go ahead with the other 18. Go ahead. Oh, everyone knows what they are. Oh, right. Let's get back to the icebreaker. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you don't want, uh, you don't want this giant Frosty the Snowman Inside your giant Frosty the Snowman cup, obviously, because, you know, that doesn't leave you. There's only the one-tenth, you know, left for the liquid that you get in there. So You're thirsty. And you're thirsty. Um, 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 um. (laughs) So what do you do in that situation? What, do you just go home? You're already home. You're already home. You you can't go home. No, but you can't stay here. I'll tell you that much. you can't. You got to break off some of that ice. And I know... That when you hear break off, you're thinking Kit Kat bars. And those oh, are delicious. Yeah. Those are so good. You keep those in the freezer too. Oh, nothing better than a frozen Kit Kat bar oh. that you have to put in the microwave for a good 15 seconds. Oh, 15 minutes. <laughs> More like <laughs> uh, get that soupy <laughs> but don't, Kit Kat. Don't don't put it in no, for 15 no, minutes. Don't no. do it. 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. Yeah. Uh yeah, listen, so I don't know about you, but I like to get that that little ice break or the ice pick. The ice pick. And, and a lot of people are like, what are these ice picks for? We see them in movies. Sharon Stone. Yeah, Sharon Stone like kept one under her bed. Ooh, when is she was... this an episode of I Love Films? I think it might be. Hey, everyone. Welcome to I Love Films. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And... We're talking about a certain style of movie oh, man. on this week's show. We're talking about femme fatalities. You know, what's what's really interesting about this particular genre of uh, femme fatales is that also I think it fits cozily uh, right up next to film noir. I think sometimes you'll see a film noir and there will be nary a femme fatale inside. Yeah, that's true. That's completely you'll, you'll true, be searching, Scott. You'll be looking at the edges, the margins oh, of yeah. the frame. Because the frame is everything. It is. And a lot of times, if you moved even just an inch to the right or to the left, something that wouldn't belong there would be in the frame. And you don't want sure. that. You might see a, a person holding a light or a microphone. Or, uh, yeah, and this is we're talking, of course, this is a, like a biblical set piece, you know, a period piece set sure. in biblical times. You don't want to see microphones. No, they weren't invented yet. And look, Jesus 
Sermon on the Mount, would he have liked a microphone or two? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it would have come in handy. It's like, hey, Jesus, uh, you don't need to shout anymore. Right. You know? But uh, unfortunately, they weren't uh, invented for another two years after yep. his death. And uh, they were invented by... Uh, who were they invented by again? Uh, Benjamin Franklin. That's right. Two Yeah, in 2 BC. Yeah. Or 2 AD, sorry. What yeah, happened in 2 it, BC? I get those two dates mixed it up. It wasn't all the time. a uh, a microphone exa- I mean there was a microphone embedded in the device, but it was uh one of one of these uh jobbers, one of these guys. You're miming that, something is that you that you you're talk is it a gun? Into. Is it are you talking into a gun? It's a um a musket. Musket. All muskets had mini microphones. Microphones. Just hidden microphones so that people don't know this. People don't know this, but you, there were microphones embedded in muskets because they were working on sound effects records. They, they and were. they did not have, this is before they got sound effects of guns. Yeah. And so any movie, um, back to I Love Films, from the invention of the first one with uh, Lumiere or whoever the fuck invented the first movie. Yes. All the way up to, I think, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah, it was part two. Part two used the same musket sound. Yeah. And recorded. also they liked, there's a little speaker, they liked, and you know, warfare was much different back then. They liked being able to speak into it to say, I'm about to fire uh, when exactly. they're firing at it. Give someone other. fair warning. You know what I mean? Well, Give yes. them a fighting chance. It was fair. It was fair. And that's, that's warfare these days. <laughs> oh, this is a dicey uh, topic. Yeah, 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 <laughs> All right, let's, no, 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 let's no. close up I Love yep. Films. Bye. Bye-bye. Anyway, what's your middle name? Oh, my middle name, well, uh, is uh, Paul. Okay, bye. Bye. It just takes some time, little girl, in the middle of the ride. Glad we settled that. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, We're here with uh, Adam. When I say we, I mean me, I guess. Uh, we're we're here talking about uh, a, a, a little uh, a little album, just a wee album. Yeah, just a just a slight little album called "Born in the USA." Oh my goodness, this album! This album, yeah, that's the one we're talking about. We finally got here. This is a doozy. This is a true doozerino, as Bruce <laughs> I think was quoted. Uh, is saying when yeah it, he calls it that when it came out I believe his first interview in Rolling Stone they said tell us about Born in the USA yeah. he said well you know before you ask it is a true Duzerino it's a real Duzerino it's a, it's on the cover it's Bruce standing there and in quotes under an <laughs> Annie Leibovitz photo it says it's a real Duzerino <laughs> and everyone knew of course everyone was like oh wow oh, okay shit. we better buy yep. this album um. So it's uh it's it's we're going to be talking about it. Uh I would say the first uh Bruce Springsteen piece of art I was ever aware of. Oh, me too. For sure. Um I you know For sure. Never even heard of the gentleman before this came out. I was looking at the uh singles uh that that all hit singles was it seven hit singles? Seven hit singles. Jesus. Yeah. And the dates that the singles came out spanned over a year and I remember those have not being able to buy my own albums yet or anything. Those Why, songs being ubiquitous. 
I had a guy that would go buy my albums for me. <laughs> you had a manservant. That's right. Yeah. No, I didn't have enough. I remember I wanted a Go-Go's album once <laughs> and I had like $2 and I went to the record store in Santa Cruz and was appalled to find out that if you want to buy an entire cassette, it was <laughs> yeah. like eight ninety nine. It, it was probably five at the time, like Maybe five ninety nine, six ninety nine, yeah. somewhere around there, and you only had two. I don't remember. And by the way, I remember I bought a, a, a forty five single. Instead. You couldn't have even bought something for one ninety nine because you didn't have enough for the tax. That's right. It would have been like two seventeen. <laughs> so you're you're looking for something I was one seventy five and or, or under. But how incredible that I was still able to buy a forty five record. That must have yeah. been like a dollar or something, right? Forty fives were. I remember the the year they came out. They were a penny, and then the next year they were two pennies. Huh. And so by the time they got to be a dollar, that was a hundred years later, right? So this was probably 1985 because the first 45 record was in 1885, yeah. right? So yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think they were a dollar by then. Yeah, and they've just gone up since then. Now they're uh, it's 40 years later, so they're almost a dollar 40 a piece. Scratch all that. This was 1984, 85. I had cassettes of my own by then, but they were all bought at the flea market in Santa Cruz, so they, they were all. Uh, bootlegged copies they were, of wait they were bootleg albums. they weren't uh, yes. they weren't just like old used copies they were bootlegs that's right that's where I could afford my own tapes because they sold uh, the latest releases for like a dollar <laughs> fifty and this I remember is actually the, a genius plan I know it's against the law and you wouldn't you know steal a car just by pushing a button would you actually I would. Sure. Remember that Why commercial? Not? No, I don't. I don't. It know was all about like not downloading music, and it was like you wouldn't steal a car oh, by by right. pushing a button. It's like fuck yeah, I would. That's right. Just push one button and you steal a car. Well, these were these sounded like shit. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that's a remember I had the Ghostbusters soundtrack and stuff like that. Anyway. Ghostbusters soundtrack, by the way, I had that. That was a banger. Oh yeah. You had uh, Billy Joel and Innocent Man. I had that uh, bootlegged. It sounded like shit, but great songs. <laughs> Did you tell that to Billy when you met him? I've, I've seen that picture. Oh, of the yeah, two I you should. Next time I oh, see Oh, hey, him. by the way, I never actually bought your record. Yeah. I had a bootleg copy. In, my, Innocent Man, as far as I'm concerned, sounds like shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, please, please, Adam, what? please let me give you a free copy of nope. the CD. Nope. Decision Please. is made. Please. Sounds like uh, shit. And by the way, how did you ever even become a fan of mine? And you... the insert for the cassette, just a flimsy piece of paper with no printing on, on the no other side of it. Why even bother? It, it was, was like just... a blurry picture of the album cover. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, I never, I've never even come across anything like that. Uh, really? I, and I would have eaten that shit up, although oh, it yeah. sounded like shit, so maybe not. It was just really hissy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Were, were they doing it from another cassette or was it? Must have been. Because I used to make my own cassettes of records. I would do the needle drop, try, to, try uh -huh. to press record and play right after the needle drop before the song started. That was an art because you didn't want to hear the. That's right. Of the needle drop. You well, just, remember, if you just uh, double cassette player, if you made a copy yeah. of a cassette, it, it, it always sounded one generation worse. Yes. So yes. it sounded like they were making a copy of, of like a copy of a copy. four generations later. Right. And this is almost four generations later. It's it, so long. It is. Ago. It's about forty-five years late. You're a great grandpa. Years. Oh, Jesus! At this point. Christ. How are your great grandchildren? 
They're doing well. They're they're all. Uh, is this an episode of How Are Your Great Grandchildren? I believe it is. Hey everyone, welcome to an episode of How Are Your Great Grandchildren. This is Scott, and this is Scott, and this is the show where we check in with each other and just kind of figure out how our relationships are with our great grandchildren. Yeah. So, what about you, Scott? I want to hear. How are your great grandchildren? They're so darling. Hmm. I mean, my. My grandchild lets them just run all over the house. Yeah. I would probably use a little more discipline, but then again, that was a big point of contention with my son. Yeah, uh, was how much discipline uh, I was too hard on him, and so yeah. I've just. Seen, but now I feel like, boy, with society, it's gone the other way. Where now we're just letting them do whatever they want, you mm-hmm. know. But they're but they're adorable, and I spoil them. I love oh, to you? spoil them. What do you like to buy them? Uh, I usually like to steal a car by pushing a button and uh-huh. I'll just give them cars. Every time I come over, I'll give them a car. You push a button, get a free car, give mm-hmm. it to them. Give it to them. Sign the deed, the, the, uh, the pink slip, the pink yeah. slip over to them. And so yeah. th- then they're to blame if it, if they get caught. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, That's great. Yeah. So that, and a lot of times everything I steal like I've embezzled, you know me. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is part of the how are you, great grandchildren? Very dirty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're I, a crook. I'm mean, yeah, exactly. I embezzle tons and tons of yeah, money. Yeah, not even from companies that I work at. I'll like go to another company and I'll be like, let me get a little bit of that. And yeah. I'll just embezzle. Just like you need to them. wet your beak a little bit. Sure, let me wet my beak. Yeah. And it's not because you need to; it's because you can. Which exactly. is what I admire. Exactly. Thank you so much. So I'll then give them all that stuff. Uh-huh. And then when people come around and go like, did you just embezzle $100 million? I'll be that's like, right. not me. That's my great grandkid. Yep. So they're all in jail. Uh-huh. Yeah. How that's are your great grandkids? They're great. They're gra- I was going to say they're great. <laughs> but they're uh, great. They uh, are my great grandchildren. Yeah. They're doing quite well. Um, They're very, 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 very precocious. I heard about this. I read it in the local paper. Yes. It said precocious great-grandchildren yes. uh, get even more precocious. Yes. And then it had story on page 15. And honestly, I, at that point, I was exhausted. Yeah, grabbing headlines all over the place, yeah. all over the local papers. It's great. Yeah, that's so great. I'm learning to love them, which oh, is interesting. You're learning. Well, I know that you have been learning basic human empathy. Interaction, empathy. Yeah, know, yeah. That's wonderful. been a tough road for you. It's it's not easy, but listen, they're my great-grandchildren finally kind of turning that corner. Yeah, you wouldn't do it for your children. No. You wouldn't do it for your grandchildren. No. Didn't know how. Yeah, that's true. How did you eventually figure out you had a, had a problem? Um, well, they tried to tell me for years, sure. and I wouldn't listen. Uh, and finally, I just kind of, z- they zeroed in on me and sat me down my entire family. Were you standing this entire time? I was standing all those years. I was standing. Oh, that makes more sense. It's hard to have down. empathy when you're standing. It's hard to hear anything when you're standing. Yeah, because you're, you're so far up. So tall. You're way up above everybody. Yeah. I'm six seven. I know you are, and and that's the problem. I think sometimes when we, you know, down here on Earth, we're always praying, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like God's way up there. He's not going to hear you, right? You know what I mean, right? He doesn't He's, listen to prayers. How tall is God? He's like seven five. Yeah, it's. I mean, come on. And then he's on top of that. He's standing on a cloud. 
Yeah. Which those are all at like- uh, Those are super high. Those are at like 8,000 feet, some to 10,000 feet. Whoa. 40,000 feet, 50,000, 60,000, 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 feet. Okay, hold on a second. Now we're like on the moon or something. I hope so. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Was that a show? It was a pilot, I think. No, but were we in a show? Yeah, we were in a show. Yeah, that was how. How are your great grandchildren? That's right. That's a great show. <laughs> it is, but they're. But I think they're. I think they're testing it out. I think it's a pilot. Well, they just need to like focus group it. And yeah, and then work out the it kinks. Out. Yeah. You know, I think it's uh, Ray Davies' personal good. trailer. Uh, that's what he used to say. I got to work out the kinks. Ah, uh, yeah, all the time. What were you gonna say? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I guarantee you. <laughs> Um, oh, I thought that uh, I, you you picked up something off the table and and brought it to your face, and I thought you were taking a phone call. You were just putting your glasses on. I was putting my glasses on. <laughs> I, I thought that was a great way to end that show. You're just like, hello, I got to go. What? <laughs> Bye. Great visual gag for a- Some uh, great uh, stuff. Um, Adam, what- uh, Yeah. What were you- What? Am I, hello? Am I not talking loud enough? Scott? Hello? Yeah. What? Hi. Oh, oh, I've, okay. I guess our connection got better. Yeah. We're we're taping this by the way. We're not um in the same location on this show. We're uh, we're in, in two separate rooms of the same place. That's right. And Why we are can't, we doing this? We can't afford Zoom. So we're using just a t- tin cans and tin cans and string. They call it boom. But I feel like it's just tin cans. I feel and like it's strain. just tin cans. Yeah, I know. It was this app that we had to download, and suddenly, out of the disk drive on our computer, just like it just injected a bunch. Yeah, that was the that was sound the of sound the tin of can the going tin on the cans. floor and dunk, 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 dunk. <laughs> rolling around on the floor. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so we're not in the same place. So sometimes there might be a little bit of delay. A little bit of boom lag in oh. the recording. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, no, you go. You go. go yeah, you t- oh, okay. Uh, yeah. There, there might, there might be a little. Billy. Hello. Bill. Hello. Billy. Scott. 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 <laughs> <laughs> boom lag on so if you hear something oh scott i think adam just farted on the, on the boom here um if so if you hear something i i think we've ironed out the the kinks which is uh, uh what ray davies uh, personal tailor used to do uh, but um but so I think it's I think it's not too bad if you're listening to it. No, I think it's uh, perfect. Yeah, so good stuff. So, mm. but um, Adam, what uh, uh, what were what were you what were you up to in uh, 1984? Well, first of all, we were all worried about, of course, George Mr. Orwell. Yeah, Mr. 1984 himself, George Orwell. We're all worried that like. Everything he predicted was going to suddenly come true. So, like January one, nineteen eighty four, we're all like, "Fucking here we go!" I remember that. 
I was 11 years old. I remember that New Year's Eve. And the I think all I knew about 1984, about George Orwell's 1984, was the Apple commercial. That that was sure. the extent of what I knew about sure. it. Sure. George Orwell, uh, the book 1984 didn't start as a book. It started out as an Apple commercial. And they adapted it into a novelization of the commercial into a book. And did you... And then they made a movie, and it was called 1984. Yep. Uh, based on the book... 1984, which was based on based the commercial, on the, commercial yeah. the Apple commercial. Uh, and what did you think of the movie as uh, it compared to the book and the commercial? That I the think book it was works a little on? better in short form, honestly, as a commercial. Yeah. Because when you try to stretch that out, stretch it out, it's kind of like suddenly you had side characters like yeah. the neighbor character. What? You know, it's like, okay, yeah, I know we need to add screen time, but I don't need the nosy neighbor character coming yeah. over going like, hey, neighbor, just check it. And then everyone inside the house is rushing to hide all of their, you know, 1984 stuff. You yeah, know, all their like, 1984, like, paraphernalia. Yeah, and yeah. Checkbooks and hats. And mugs and thimbles. That's right. And snow, patches. snow globes, patches, everything 1984 related. And they're like, oh, put it away, put it away, yeah. put it away. And then they finally shove it into the closet, and then nosy neighbor is like, "I'm, here, I'm here to fix your closet." And yeah. they're like, oh, "Oh no, oh no, our closet! We oh, I remember we asked you to come over and fix that, but uh, we fixed it in between when I, we asked you and right now." And it's just you know like, what? Now that you're like explaining the whole story to me, that that all the the whole story, yeah, it's my favorite movie. It is really good. When it's, I was just describing it, I was kind of like, why did I say that this was not necessary? So good. It really came to life when I said it. Maybe it's just me saying it. I think that's it. Maybe the execution of Are it. Are we recording this? No. Okay. Next oh, wait, time. I, I did. I think I had last week's record it, recorder still going. Oh, we've been recording this whole time? I think we have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we didn't mean to start yet. God, I should leave this room. Yeah, come into this room. Okay, hold on. Uh, Scott? Scott? Wrong room! Okay, hold on one sec. Scott? Colder! So many rooms in this house. Okay, here we go. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Scott. Hey. How's it going? Are you Scott Ackerman? I am, yeah. Wait a second. What's your middle name? Charles? Get the fuck out of my way. Ah! <laughs> Scott. Hey, hey, hey. What's have, you your... seen, have you seen my twin brother? Yet, Scott Charles Ackerman? Yeah, you didn't hit him, did you? I slapped him across the face. Oh, no. He's sunburned. Oh, God damn it. What's your middle name? David? That's the one. Let's go record our show. Let's record. Yeah. <laughs> and record. Ah, thank goodness. Oh, we finally did it. This is great. Hey, you know what? I've realized. What's that? Every week that we put out this show, we've yep. ac we've accidentally put out the pre the first half hour to hour where we're not talking about Bruce Springsteen. Wait, what? I think that's an editing mistake. Oh, God. That must be so boring for people. 
I don't know. I think some people might only listen to that part and then turn it off when we start talking about Bruce Springsteen. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine? Um, what? So other than, you know, uh, obviously watching that commercial, then sure. reading the novelization, sure. then watching the movie and That's lo- right. thinking it's your favorite movie. What, yep. what else were you doing in 1984? And while you talk, I'm going to move this panel that I put in the wrong place. I'm going to move it behind you. Is that for sound reasons? Um, I was, again, I was 11 years old. I remember, you know, looking at the- What is an 11-year-old Adam Scott? He's obviously a little boy. He wants to be a big boy. That's right. He dreams of growing taller and taller and finally reaching the tippy-top step on uh, the ladder. I must have been in the sixth grade because 1985, summer of 85 was between- Sixth and seventh, because I was back to the future. So, so, so the fifth, sixth grade fifth, is where I was. Yeah, ending your fifth grade, then summer happens. You're out there, crack of the bat, foul ball. Go back to go back to home, and we're gonna pitch again to you. I was in little league and pony league baseball. Where are you now? And I believe I've told the story on this show before. That oh, good. I, I was played. I'd love so to hear it again. Infrequently that I sold concessions at my own baseball games. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't know that I've heard this before. What you would I would you were on the bench a lot? I was on the bench so much that I got bored and would leave and no <laughs> one would notice and I would go to the concession booth and ask if they needed any help. Oh, I thought that you were buying concessions for like say a doll, for a dollar a piece and then selling them in the stands for like $2 a piece. Trying no, to make a little extra money. That see, I should have had you with me because that's a great idea. That's a great idea. But no, I would just work at the concession stand because it was more interesting <laughs> than sitting on the bench. And that's where you uh, started your love of be- of working retail in the food industry. That's and right. Eventually became a candy boy. Yep. And uh, but at this point, you are just a concession boy. Concession boy. Are you a sling and frankfurters? What are you doing? Yeah, there's some frankfurters. There's uh, soda pop. You mm, know, carbonated Co- beverages. Tab. Um, Sprite. Tab. Seven Up. Sprite and Seven Up. Well, that's a good point. I'm not sure, but w- because this is probably the years before that, companies like Pepsi or Coca-Cola Company would come in and force, give a shit, give a shit, and force exclusivity. Yeah, I don't think at Harvey West Park they gave a shit Coke, Pepsi. Did they have a fountain though? Do you remember? Or no, was it was it, it cans that I think they it were was selling? cans in a cooler. Got it. But it was a little um Shack? structure that sure. you would need to a go. A lean to of some sort? Uh what's that? What is it? A lean to? It's a good question. Hmm. Let's find out. Let's find out. Is this an episode of what is a lean to? Yeah. And this is Scott. And this is the show where we try to figure out it's a lot like our sister show was What's the sister show to this? That was that person, that actor in species. Oh, that oh, um Scott Glenn. Yeah, it was Scott Glenn in Species, where we, we try to find out what a lean-to is. Did without, you ever find out? 
No, we're not allowed to. What about Lance Henriksen? Was he in We're species? not allowed to find out. Okay, yeah, I still don't. We're know. not allowed to look it up. That's part of the I didn't the look it up. This I haven't whole looked it time. up. No, I haven't looked it up. And no one's allowed to tell us. That's the other thing. God damn it. So we'll never, ever, ever know. What, what, are we allowed to watch species? No, 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 no. Okay. Come on, Adam. No, no, I'm sorry. It was a stupid question, and I got a stupid answer. <laughs> I think, hey, fuck you. <laughs> it's okay. I do love your sense of humor. Ah, uh, thanks. Should really? we read our text? <laughs> our text? Oh, our text exchange from yeah. earlier. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're not allowed to look up what a lean-to is. Or uh, uh, if Scott Glenn was or in Or Scott Glenn was in species. Oh, so, so we're not going to find out what a lean-to is. Well, lean take your best is. guess what a lean-to is. What do you think it is? Is it some sort of standard design for a snack bar type structure? Could be. I remember there was one of those uh, counters that would that had uh, part of it was on a hinge so it would go up and down and right. i would just go under it to get into the snack bar area right yeah because i was smaller yeah then then, then what then you are now or then yes. anything else in the world well i was e- extremely small so, so did you ever see okay did you ever see honey i shrunk the kids no no i would love to do that on scott hasn't seen with you <laughs> okay let's do, i i saw that movie so many times really? <laughs> because it coincided with the may have been the summer I really kind of discovered uh, small weed, tiny people, <laughs> oh, weed. but it was intended as like a family movie, and me and my friends just kept going <laughs> kept over going. and over. <laughs> okay, we have to do an episode it's, of our other show about it, this. It's pretty great. Um, if I had to guess what a lean to is, I think it's like, um, feels to me like it's a type of simple structure that's like originally added to an existing building with the rafters kind of like leaning against another wall you know what i mean like uh it was used as like maybe a shelter or i hear you it was uh, I, and i i think you know maybe they're known by their finnish names lavu uh-huh okay yeah no i know exactly what you're talking about it wasn't that it was not that no okay. but is that a lean-to do you think i believe it is now that you describe it, it's like that's yes. just my guess, and we're oh. not allowed to look this up. But that's if I was taking a stab at it, it's how I would describe one. It's I, to me that sounds uh, right on the money. But we'll never know. We will never know, and we'll never know if Scott Glenn was in Species. Nope. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So it, it was probably just a shack yeah. kind of thing. It was a shack, simple structure. And you some would, prefab. You would thing. go underneath the underneath the folding counter, counter, the folding counter, and you would and and this it was a gentleman who was or was it a lady? I think it was just other kids that were working it, and oh. I was like, I'll do it, and they would leave, and I would man it by myself, <laughs> and people would come up to buy stuff, and they would see my uniform and say, "Aren't you guys playing right now?" <laughs> And would you keep the money or you would, you were, no. you're an honest young lad. I was an honest young lad. And so you would get, you would, you would, uh, and these, these idiots who were supposed to be there who just took off, what are they doing? They're just like, we found some dumb sucker to. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. This is like really... Tom Sawyer with the, with the whitewashing the fence, you know? Except I, mean? I wasn't really accomplishing anything. I was just <laughs> bored. But maybe they pull that reverse psychology on you somehow. They're like, you don't want to be back here. Maybe the, the counter. they just needed someone to work for free selling snacks. And my baseball team was fake. The other baseball team oh. we were playing was fake. 
and it was all constructed just this to get free help. This is a long con. Help. And yeah, so yeah. in order to sell snacks to the people watching the fake game, that's right. they needed someone for that. All the parents that were there watching the fake game. They're all fake. They're all actors? All actors. Have you, by the way, the, the SAG strike, we don't know if it's still going when we're recording this. We mm-hmm. hope it's not, but probably it is. Uh have uh have you been doing a lot of the uh the the work of doing playing fake people for these types of cons? Yeah, this is how it's I've been the, making the my only living. work that you're able to get That's right. these days. That's right. <laughs> like fake families and it doesn't pay as much, but it's uh it pays almost as much though. It's, it's a great you get seven figures. Ninety nine uh percent as much as you yeah. do as a as a working yeah, actor. it's not eight figures, but it's it's nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand yeah. dollars which is fine that's okay you can't live on it necessarily but you can't live on it for more than i don't know two weeks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how much is nine million cents nine million cents uh well there's a hundred cents and a dollar so you take off uh you take off two zeros, so it would be uh, $90,000, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. Yeah. You're right. Good job. Which is nothing to sneeze at. I would not, It might actually make me sneeze. I think I'm allergic to money. Say that, say that total again. $90,000. Why did you just karate chop me in the stomach? Sorry. <laughs> Do you think... It doesn't do make sneeze? me sneeze. It makes me karate chop. You think sneezing is kar- karate chops? Well, that's what you do when you, you're allergic to something, you karate chop. <laughs> like if I walk out on a spring day into a field of poppies, watch out. Gotcha! <laughs> oh, black belt! All right, look. You, I, I have to say, Adam. <laughs> yep. I don't think that you've told this story about the selling candy before, but I love it. I love your entrepreneurial spirit, even though you were not keeping any money. You were just just trying to occupy your mind. Why were you so bad at baseball? I must have also been trying to blunt the humiliation of never playing. Like not even getting thrown into right field every once in a while. I thought everyone had to play when you were in Little League. Not in the mid-80s. I think you... Pretty much do whatever you wanted. I guess maybe I was playing in the seventies, and it was it was seventies uh, up to eighties, and it was always like, okay, everyone has to, everyone who's on the team has yeah. to play position and has to bat yeah. in the rotation. I remember my coach being awesome, like super super nice guy and stuff. It wasn't, you know, it was oh yeah, super nice guy. And also, I was kind of like, time. yeah, I don't, I doubt I'd play me. Like, I didn't know <laughs> how to do any of it. We. Isn't that part of being the coach that was teaching you how to do it? No, I don't know. I, I'm sure they tried. I know that I, they, I, I couldn't, I don't know whether it was I couldn't hold up the bat with any sort of authority or I couldn't swing it fast enough or mm-hmm. something, but they, they would not allow me to swing when I was at bat. They would on, only allow me to do check swings and basically bunting. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so anytime I stepped into the batter's box, everyone on the opposite team said, all right, every, he's bunting, everyone move forward. And that's just so emasculating. Yeah, it's not. And then bunting is hard. It's hard to oh, yeah. get a good bunt going. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, would I lay it down the third baseline every time? Yeah. Yeah. Would you really? Oh, yeah. RBIs. That's great. I, I had the most RBIs. I had, every, uh, by the end of the season, I had 670 oh, so you RBIs. Were, you were good. RBIs are incredibly valuable i won mvp every year you did really yeah 
I won most improved every year. <laughs> most improved piece of shit. Yeah. MIP. I remember OS. I got a double once. I got a triple once. It was thrilling. You just taught me every time. Like, oh wait, no. Even... Did you get a triple? No, because I got. I, got I did a homer. <laughs> um. Yeah. What? Tell me about your double. <laughs> I got a du- a legit double once, and then. The other time I got a double, I was so excited. I ran <laughs> past it. I ran. I I somehow um, caused us to get two outs <laughs> in my because I overshot. What did I do? Did you run into center field? <laughs> just right past the second base. I forget what I did. climbed over the wall. I just remember going back into the dugout and crying. Oh. And my teammate. This guy, Zeb, who I went to uh, school with, he was so not, and he was like the best player on the team. And he came over, he's like, dude, you fucking kicked ass out there. Like he made me feel better. It was very nice. nice. Oh, wow. It's crazy how you remember this stuff from when you're 11 years old. I don't think that any other kid was ever supportive of me. (laughs) Really? Really? I was thinking about that today. Uh, just the 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 whole psychology of everything when I went to school is just always about like be better than everyone else and try to insult anyone who's less than really? you. Really? Yes. That's the whole just like psychology of where I grew up, I think. Well, I think there was a lot of that in the sports and I was not equipped for it. Right. There were a couple guys on the team that were nice. But there was a lot there was some the opposite of that. The well. worst, I used to play right field because yeah. that's where, if you have never seen baseball or played baseball, that's where the fewest amount of balls That's right. That's w- when I would play, that's where I would yeah. be. And if anyone ever hit it to there, oh, I was terrifying. Just, just like fucking shit because it's not like you're, I almost feel like if you're worse, you should play the, the like third base or something like that because then things are not arcing incredibly yeah. high towards it's you. scary. It's scary, and also you're just sitting there going like, this is the hardest thing to catch, I think. Yes. Although, obviously, fly balls are kind of easy to catch, like if you're a professional baseball player. Yeah. But as far as I know, like none of us were, none of us have been called up to the majors no. at that point. So you're just, you see this ball coming towards you, and you're like, fuck, God shit. damn it. That's why, also, I think I was okay with being on the bench and working concessions. There was no pressure. Yeah, yeah. I'm out there in right field. I'm like, oh, God damn it, don't fucking hit the Although wasn't there, there was a concessions uh, competition, right? Didn't Alec Baldwin come in? and That's right. And uh, he was like, okay, first place, Mercedes, second place, set of steak knives, third place, you're fired. That's right. And that's when I bailed out and went out and played baseball. (laughs) Right. Because it's like, what a relief. That's right. But I remember one time I'm in right field and someone hits the ball and it's instead of a pop fly, it's a line drive to right field. Oh, hits me right in the fucking oh, cup God. <laughs> and it bounces off the cup and I go, Oh, and everyone still goes, hurts. Yeah. And everyone goes, ha ha ha. Oh, it hit him God. in the dick. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but we love sports. We love competing and comp- the competition aspect of it obviously is incredibly. Important. Oh yeah. That's why we're such, we grew up to be such jocks and sports freaks. Sportos. Yeah. And you, You've seen our muscles, obviously. That's a big part of this show. Yep. Uh, we Every episode we show off our muscles. Fitness, training. Health and wellness. It's That's not right. Obviously, it's not in vogue these days to say like, 
oh, we were into bodybuilding and showing off our big fucking muscles. And our butts. And our butts and shit because people are like, oh, well, we shouldn't be like lording it over on people with different body types. But so we have to say health and wellness, but it's yeah, really. But it's our, us and our butts. It's us and our butts yeah. and our big Check out our butts. Yeah, check out our butts. Look at these butts. Look at these two butts. <laughs> Look at this butt. Look at that butt. Look at these two butts. <laughs> you like butts? <laughs> well, we've Come got here. two of them. There's one here. There's one right there. <laughs> Check them out. All right, look, Adam, we need to take a break. If you yeah, can believe it. We um, do. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, an album that came out in 1984. That's why I brought it up. What? Um, we're going to be talking about a little album called Born in the USA. This is You Spring and Springsteen on My Bean. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. You spring and Springsteen on my bean. We want to uh, give a big shout out to some of our listeners. Uh, we want to shout out one of our listeners, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, shouting him out. Thanks, uh, Bruce. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Great to have you be a listener. Um, and we're talking about the album Born in the USA um today and uh this is a big one this out al- it's hard to explain just how ubiquitous this album try and- try 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 don't that's just a, say something's hard and then I'm give up doing i'm oh. trying i'm trying to pump you up man thank Cause you because you, you give up thanks. all the time thanks you just and i think you're better than that i think that you can you can actually achieve anything i believe in you thank you i just i feel like i just hit that Double that I blew, yeah. In uh, in uh, Pony you, League, you baseball. blew a double. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just it was everywhere, and the imagery on the cover was everywhere. Let's do some stats, yeah, bro. Because our last uh, record that we were talking about was Nebraska, that came out September thirty of nineteen hundred and eighty two. This album comes out not even two years later, but almost two years later. It comes out June 4th of 1984, hmm. one calendar month before I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. That's right, July 4th. Oh, uh, yeah, 4th of July. 4th of July. It's a big deal. Yep. And, the, and also a mere seven years after the bicentennial itself. Yeah, 1776. Yeah, 1970. Oh, I guess. Uh, well, it's, it's eight it, years. Yeah. 1976. Yeah. Was the bicentennial of uh, it 1776. It was. It was. Yeah. It truly was. Do you think we're going to make it to, uh, to 2076? I think so. I mean, what with the advances in medical technology and how soft they're making buses now. So when a, when you step off the curb and a bus hits you now, it just kind of goes boing, boing, yeah, yeah, yeah. bounces right off. Do you. you remember the bicentennial? I do, I do not. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you were you were too young for it, but you were around, right? Yes, I was three years old. Yeah, and you were, um, 
working in a coal mine. Yeah, right. That's right. And that's why you had never really knew no. if it was day, if it was night. Right. No, I remember it. I think I think I had a t-shirt of it. Um hmm. I wish I still had it, honestly. Yeah, I do. Because it sounds pretty I, I badass, you right? Too. It sounds great. Uh, yeah, I was six years old, and I was uh, in the aforementioned Little League, and I remember that summer, and I remember not enjoying being in Little League and crying all the time yep. and uh, riding around on my bike and uh, kind of going like, oh, yeah, 1776, I've heard of that, not really knowing. Yeah like much about it other than just like oh that's when everything started i guess i mean when when did you get a any kind of grasp on history well i remember growing up and still feeling like the aftermath of the bicentennial and yeah the come down and it was sort of like everyone was still sick of it (laughs) like wasn't that whole summer it was just all about it was just culturally, it was sort of everywhere, and everyone I, was sick of it. I guess I never really felt that. About That's the feeling being I got sick, sick for years after. I yeah, guess I've I never know. really felt that. But um, interesting. I, I get you know, obviously, I didn't grow up in Santa Cruz, and Santa yeah. Cruz has a different. Um, I, I would imagine like it's more hippies and stuff up there, right? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of my parents and their friends seemed to still be kind of over it. <laughs> no, my, I mean. My, you know, my dad was uh, in the uh, National Guard, so is this boring you? You're fucking yeah. yawning. Mm. Sorry to bring up Oof. my my deceased father and make it's, you yawn. Sorry, it's just so boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, but, different, but, culturally, a, a different I, I, place. I was in Orange yeah. County as well, and and so I think, you know, like still to this day, I think my my mom on July Fourth digs up like an American flag sweatshirt or something uh-huh. like that for Fourth of July. For Fourth of July, yeah. um, so I think I think everyone was pretty into it. Yeah. Um. When where I grew up, but uh, why are we even talking about that? I don't know. This is nineteen eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. Well, because it was eight years after. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> That's why we're talking about. <laughs> okay. So so June fourth, nineteen eighty four. Yeah. I was. Uh, let's see. I graduated eighty eight. So eighty seven, eighty six, eighty five. So this is me right before I go into freshman year. Right. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Again, I talked about this uh, in our first episode, I believe, but um, I was hanging out with uh, a girl who was very into Bruce Springsteen yeah. and brought him to my attention, and I uh, was not into it and was actively kind of resisting it, even though, like, watching MTV and stuff like that, it, it was hard to get away from it. Sure. So... It was. It was everywhere. The thing I didn't realize was that Dancing in the Dark was the first single. The first single, yeah. That's the first, probably the first Bruce Springsteen song I ever heard. Huge hit. Huge hit. Uh, Let's talk about it. Seven top 10 singles. Out of 12 songs, seven. Out of 11 songs. That's what I meant. Seven were top 10 singles. That means four songs weren't. Four songs suck. Yeah. And we're not good enough that to means be top that 10 singles. four songs uh, w- were not in the top 10 yeah. at all. And here's the thing. If you're writing a song and it's not top 10 single quality, throw it away. Yeah. Just get, write another Get rid one. of it. Get rid of it. You want every one of your songs that you ever write to be in the top 10. When we interview Bruce Springsteen, that should be our first question. 
Why did you include those four other songs on yeah. your album? Look, I'd buy a record with just seven songs on it. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Well, just throw those other four away. Yeah. Dumb shit. So stupid. So dumb. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's a massive commercial success, certified 17 times platinum, which means over 17 million just uh, in the US, sold in the United right? States. Yeah, 30 million copies worldwide. Topped the charts in nine countries, including the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, one of the best-selling albums of all time. Um, also the first compact disc ever made in the United States. Hmm. Um, and you know what I, I saw was that those compact discs were manufactured in Terre Haute, Indiana, where Columbia had, I guess, a CD factory. And that's where the Columbia Record Club would be. That's where, where they start? Where, oh, really? Whenever you sent away for 11 albums for a, a penny, I guess it I was to Terre Haute, Indiana. I guess I didn't realize, because they would sell records from any company, right? But were they always trying to push Columbia? They were always trying to push Columbia with that big red block lettering on the, oh, on the side. Oh, yeah. interesting. And it was the Columbia Record and Tape Club. So they must have manufactured any record labels <laughs> stuff because it was a factory oh yeah they because it was the first factory so it must have been like hey we'll keep uh, we'll make you 100 cds but we'll keep 10 for us well and they were probably the ones that had slight defects in the printing or whatever oh, yeah and the for the artists it was great because it would just boost their numbers there's got to be a documentary on the columbia record and no, tape club no right? shit and man. they shouldn't interview us about it yes because because we've talked about it on this show, my uh, pseudonym Wiggy Wigbert <laughs> um, oh, yeah. was a subscriber. I was Rupert Pupkin. I was <laughs> Travis Bickle. I had so many. Um, let's see what else about this uh, best one of the best selling albums of all time. Um, I mean, a huge concert tour coming out of this uh and uh yeah and an incredible achievement this is the apex of his career huge it's all downhill after this but <laughs> well I mean, it, it it's, also it's interesting what it did to him creatively because i think it it totally knocked him in a different direction and knocked took his dick in the dirt certainly and it took took him years to sort of find his bearings again yeah. don't you think Let's talk about the producers. We have our old buddy, John Landau. Yep. Then we have a uh, gentleman, Chuck Plotkin. Chuck Plotkin. Chucky Plots. Chucky Plots, we call him. Um, he did the mixing. We've talked about him, and he did the mixing of Darkness on Thedge of Town. Um, we have a little gentleman by the name of Da Boss. Da Boss. Bruce Springsteen. And then we also have a guy who we should talk about. He's leaving the Edible Street Band as of this record. That's right. Mr. Lilyhammer himself, little Steven Van Zandt. Yeah. Producer, co-producer. Co-producer on the record. And uh, he is leaving the E Street Band, the Edible yeah. Street Band. He wants to go solo. You know, when I went to the US Festival... 
I do remember hearing about this almost every episode of yes. this show. So. <laughs> Seems like one of the only things you've ever done in your life. <laughs> 1983, my first concert, we go there. We had backstage passes one day, and the one band we went backstage for and watched them play from behind them was Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul. Those Disciples of Soul. Yep. Were they as good as Bruce Springsteen and the Edible Street Band? Better. Better. So we well, made the right decision. Uh it's weird though because it was '83, and that's a year before "Born in the USA" came out. And I know "Born in the USA" and Little Steven's first solo record came out like two weeks apart. Yeah, he um, he'd been sort of foot out the door a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he was brought in. He says like, "Well, I was brought in to kind of like get Bruce Springsteen to to be where he needed to be, and then once he got at that level, I decided I was gonna." you know, do my own thing. Uh-huh. Almost like he's what, like the rock in the fast and furious franchise or something like that. Like, remember how he used to say like, what I do is I pump up franchises. Right. And then I leave <laughs> <laughs> once I can't stand the main actor. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he wants to go solo. I mean, you know, he, uh, this is, this is the guy who ended up making Lily hammer. He's got his own thing going on. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a capable person. Yeah. But um, he uh, he, yeah, that's so weird that how his record came out two weeks, yeah, apart, yeah. But you can hear him all over this record. Oh well, yeah, when we and hear the songs, well, you'll hear him singing. And there's playing. a song about him on the yeah. the album, so it's it's he's still a huge part of it, and yeah, it's not like there were bad feelings really. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, th- I, I actually in reading about it, it seems more like Springsteen was sad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, and, and let's talk about it. In our previous episode, we talked about Nebraska, how, uh, linked it is with this record, how he made these cassette recordings of all the songs and then brought them in. And they tried to do these electric versions of the Nebraska songs, several of which worked out and yeah. are on this record. Um, several of which did not work out so much, and so they kept him on Nebraska. Um, so this record, I think the first song that was cut was Born in the USA. Mm-hmm. And that was, you. we heard the acoustic demo Nebraska version of it. Yeah. And um, then uh, that was cut a full two years before the record even came out. That's crazy, too. There's a bunch of songs on this album that were cut around the time as Nebraska. Yeah, and then they just sat on him. Yeah. And Bruce Springsteen kept working on it and working on it. And I think, <laughs> like, what I was reading was he had all these incredible recordings from early on in, like, 1982. And then he's, like, sort of like the river, like, no, I'm not satisfied. Yeah. And he went and recorded way more stuff, and everyone was like, this stuff sucks. Yeah. And then he finally goes to Chuck Chucky Plotts, and he's like, what do you think, Chucky Plots? Yeah. And he like somehow he just gets this look on his face. And Bruce Springsteen, I think the quote was, do I not pay you enough? Just tell me what you think. Yeah. And Chucky Plots goes, look, man, all the stuff we recorded two years ago, that's like, that's the stuff. Yeah. He goes, You're, the, the record should start with Born in the USA. It should end with my hometown. And then- the in-between stuff, we got a bunch of great stuff. Let's just put it out. And he was, and he finally became convinced. But wasn't there, there was stuff that they recorded in 82, then some in a, a bunch in 83, and then 
the last the very, one. The very was, last one was Dancing in the Dark. And that was like right before the album. Yeah. The deadline. For John the Landau, he hears the record. It's maybe 10 songs at that point. And he says, you know what? It's good, but I don't hear a leadoff single. Yeah. Which is kind of insane to think like a, an album that had six other top 10 hits. Yeah. He doesn't hear. But, but I think it's what he's trying to say is. I don't hear the single that's going to make everyone pay attention. Like to Bruce. the breakout yeah. thing. And so Bruce Springsteen gets really mad and goes, I've written 70 fucking songs. You want to write a hit single? You write it. Yeah. And this is a lot like, of course, the argument that Kelly Clarkson had with Clive Davis. <laughs> <laughs> you bring that up every single episode. Um, But... uh. Springsteen gets mad and says, fuck you, you write a song, and then goes home and writes Dancing in the Dark and comes back in and goes, I wrote the hit single. It's so great, that song. Yeah. And the, the video is so fucking cute. Um, So Springsteen, by the way, he, he takes a trip out to California to from uh, where he's like holed up on the farm and kind of breaks down on the way, I guess, like mentally hmm. and gets into therapy. And so this is where he starts like trying to unravel all these weird feelings he has about his past and hmm. his present, maybe even his future. Hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, this record is, is also where uh, the sound changes just a little bit, uh, Roy Bitten gets a synthesizer. Mm -hmm. So he, everything on the radio has this Yamaha synthesizer on it, which weighs 200 pounds, mm -hmm. I think. And so weighs almost, uh, I think uh, almost as much as you do, Adam. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you're 300 pounds. 300 pounds. Yeah. yeah. So it's about two thirds of Adam's weight. Okay. Um, and, um, he starts fiddling around with it and he doesn't really, you know, he's not a synth player necessarily. In fact, Springsteen says he's not a synth player. He's a piano player. So he doesn't play it like a synth player. Yeah. He plays, so he plays weird things it's that, true. that uh, a synth player wouldn't play. But this is the first Springsteen record that doesn't have like sort of on every song, the traditional, I guess, bar band kind of song. Yeah. And some electronic drums on a couple of them too. Like That's Dancing true. in the Dark. Does that have a, oh, he, does it have a well, No, I don't think it does. He's playing drums, but it has, had the, the, the drum, it sounds like he, for that song anyway, he was playing drums, but they were probably electric pads or something like that Maybe. song. Yeah, I'm not we sure. We should well, listen to it. When we listen to it, we should listen to it probably. Um, they, they did figure out, by the way, hey, you know how they, they've had so much trouble with the drum sounds on, yeah. uh, darkness in, on the edge of town yeah. and specifically like with him just going stick, yeah. stick over and over again. Then they sort of figure it out with the river. Um, they do these large gated drums for this record that I think I was watching a documentary. I think it was sound city or it was another doc. I think it was sound city. And they talk about how Phil Collins essentially figured out how to do gated drums, and it was an accident. Like there, what's was, gated drums? Gated drums are where you, um, I've just heard it as a as a way of talking about a certain drum sound, but it's it's the drum sound on uh, in the air tonight, where they sound really loud. Uh -huh. But I think it's a where you hit the snare and it 
then echoes back and you hear the snare sound again or something like that. Huh. It just makes everything sound super loud, but also compressed somehow. Yeah. And isolated. I, yeah. And I, I believe it was, they fucked up in the studio or something when they were, when Phil Collins was recording and it sounded really weird. And the, the person was like, Oh, let me change that back into what it's supposed to be. And Phil Collins is like, no, that sounds awesome. And no one had ever recorded drums uh, like this before. Oh. Uh, I, I read on this record that they like have it hooked up to a broken reverb plate or something like that. Like oh. they, they did it very specifically, but the drums sound huge on this record. Oh. Yeah, they do. That's for sure. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the stats. Uh, it's forty six minutes and fifty seven seconds. If that gives you any idea of how long it is. Yeah, I think that gives me an it's just a little over 45 minutes. Yeah, about one almost 2 like, minutes yeah, over. Like a couple yeah. minutes. That gives you some idea of how long it is, right? Yeah. A roundabout uh, yeah. number. Yeah. So, uh that's all the stats. It's a blockbuster. A true blockbuster. Uh oh, uh we should talk about the cover. Uh Annie Leibovitz uh shot the photograph she shot that photograph right behind you, by the way. Uh, of that, me. That photograph? <laughs> of me and Kumail and Kroll. Um, she did? She did, yeah. Really? That's why I have it on the wall. Um, but uh, Annie Leibowitz, it's of Bruce's... Uh, how shall we put this delicately? His derriere? His fanny. <laughs> Well, apparently he went and like really worked out before this album came out to yeah. kind of pump himself, pump himself up. And did, have you read change why, his though? look a little bit? Why what? did he want to do that? Other than just it's great to have a great body. I I don't. I I didn't <laughs> read why. Yeah, neither have I. I uh -oh. just read that he did, and everyone talks about like, oh, he worked out a little bit, and then they put his ass on the cover. Yeah, it's 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 him in jeans and a white t shirt. Uh, standing in front of the American flag with a red baseball cap in his back pocket. Some people have said like, oh, is he pissing on the flag? That's what that was. That's what I a lot of read people, that. I think that's such a weird, a weird assumption to make. Yeah. But it's everything about the imagery is, is ripe for misinterpretation. Yeah, I guess so. I just yeah. always thought it was a patriotic looking image, but it's, it's, it's supposed to be given ironic. The subject matter, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but Annie Leibovitz shot that, and I, and I think Springsteen is quoted as saying something to the effect of like, well, they had a choice of putting my a my ass on it or my face, and right. my ass looked better. Yeah. Which he's being modest. He's got a, he's a good looking guy. Great looking guy. And, you know, watching the videos from this era, he looks amazing. Like he, yeah. he was like in shape and Heart looked drop. like a movie star. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so many of these songs are sort of very tied up into our memories of the videos themselves. Yeah, for when sure. We, when we talk about the singles, we'll talk about that. Okay. So that's pretty much everything we need to know. Adam, when we come back, we are going to get into it and we're going to listen to these songs. Are you excited? Oh man. Can you imagine us doing something like this? Nope. Well, we're going to, this is... You spring and Springsteen on my bean. We'll be right back talking about Born in the USA and after room. this. There are pictures of heroes on hey, the stop wall. mumbling. They get to Candy's room. Better walk. 
Speaking of candy. Candy's all. Welcome back. By the way, when we talked about darkness on Fedge of Town, we didn't talk about one of the one of the uh, outtakes that I think kind of ties into one of the stories you just told. It's a little song called Candy Boy. Hmm. Candy's Boy. This is about you. This is called Candy's Boy? Candy's Boy. It's between this and Adam Raised a Cane about which song sort of is tailored to you more. And you chose Candy's Boy. <laughs> well, he sucked at baseball, and so he wins, old Candy. They used to hit balls to him, and he would sit down and cry. <laughs> yeah, good song. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, all right, we're talking about darkness. No, sorry. <laughs> we're talking about born in the USA. And um talk about okay, talk about front loaded albums. I feel like this one is back loaded. Back loaded, yeah, for sure. Isn't it, isn't it weird? The how, last four songs are top ten singles. Yeah. And the first one, the first two are as well, but yes. but then it gets into uh it's it it is structured bizarrely. But but you know, every since our previous episodes where I was talking about certain bands I've seen doing, and we, we saw, you know, the, the, uh, Actung baby where it just ends on these bummer notes. Yeah. Uh, this is one, I, I saw the postal service recently. Yeah. And that's a front loaded album too. Yeah. Where like, you know, the first four tracks are incredible and every it's 10 songs and every one is really good. So you can't really go wrong. But I was always like, pick your big singles and put them at the end. That truly is what this record is. So For it sure. would be great to hear, uh, you know, and uh, a concert of the whole album. But uh, let's go track by track. Yes. This is side one. This is Born in the USA. And it's a song by Bruce Springsteen on You Spring and Springsteen on My Bean.
Born in the USA. A song about a Vietnam veteran who comes back and doesn't really fit in. Did you ever understand it was about that when you would, were listening to it as a as a kid? No, not at all. Because you just kind of hear like "Born in the USA" yeah. that sounds like patriotic, and it was a huge hit when it was out as a single. And then you have people like Reagan using it yeah. in rallies. But that, that's when you did hear about that. It, yeah. it was not about that. Is there's when, a little pushback when, when he was asking Reagan to stop using it, right? Um, and then he. Trump wanted to use it, and he was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did Trump really use it? Yes. Ew. Um, this was um, originally written as the title song to a Paul Schrader movie that he was thinking of starring in. Oh, is that right? Born, yeah, yeah. It was called Born in the USA. It ended up being Light of Day, which Michael J. Fox uh-huh. uh, starred in. Yeah. Um, but he... he Bruce Springsteen liked the title a lot, so he yeah. wrote this song and then was like, I'm not going to star in your movie. Yeah. But this is, he thanks Paul Schrader, uh, you know, in the liner notes. Oh, interesting. Um, he also, in between uh, Nebraska, he reads Born on the Fourth of July, Ron Kovic's uh-huh. book, uh, a Vietnam veteran who... Uh, was very patriotic who came back from Vietnam paralyzed from the waist down it turned it it was turned into a Tom Cruise movie incredible movie um and they met uh at uh, the pool at the Sunset Marquee he, him and Ron Cope uh-huh. not Tom Cruise uh-huh don't know if uh, Tom Cruise has ever met Bruce Springsteen I would so, imagine they have I would think that they would have because yeah. they'd have a lot in common I would think um, and so they met, and, and Springsteen did a uh, benefit concert for a group of veterans, um, which kind of changed. It really affected affected his uh, political outlook. I uh-huh. think so. This album is is very sort of political. Yeah. By the way, listen to these drums. Uh, this was all sort of rift in the studio. Yeah, and those keyboards too. That was a new sound at the time. Yes. So the so like you said, he's playing them in a different way than everyone else was playing. They play so Springsteen plays this song for everyone, and it it doesn't really have that chorus or anything. And so Roy Bitten listens to it, and he hears one part which is dee 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 dee, and he uh, like in the song with a lot of other stuff around it. And he kind of goes, oh, that sounds like a riff. So he starts playing that on the keyboard and goes, dee, 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 yeah. dee. And everyone just like, then Max Weinberg starts going, dum, da, dum, yeah. dum, da, behind it. And Springsteen like kind of goes, okay, yeah, yeah, you play this, you play this. And they're all looking around and he goes, does everyone know the the chords? And they all go, yeah. And so then they just recorded that basically. Wow, that's crazy. And I think there's like a good 45 seconds of jamming that yeah. they cut out at the end or something like that. But they all, and this is two years before the record comes out, and they yeah. all look at each other and go like, okay, I think that was good. Pretty good. Max Weinberg, by the way, almost fired on the previous record. He goes That's and right. takes drum lessons, I think, and comes back just kind of nailing it. Wow. Um, Almost fired on the river. On the river, yeah. Huh. That's right. Um, 
And uh, yeah, Born in the USA. What do we think? Big song. It's great. I mean, it's one of those songs, it's like thriller or something. It's hard to separate it from the cultural moment. And it's hard to separate it from the Cheech Marin parody, Born in right. East L.A. Born in East L.A. Um, I mean, it's great. It's it's uh, it's a perfect kind of kickoff for this album. Um, it's not a song I would put on for like listening enjoyment. <laughs> Which is mainly what songs are meant to be. <laughs> but it's it's less... It's it's hard to even think of it as a song. Because it's almost it's like an overstatement. It, yeah. It's weird that it's a hit single. I know because because I, I, I here's what I think about it. It's also an earworm, though. It's yeah. not not a song. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I really like the lyrics. Yeah, uh, he's pared them down to be so simple too. Like I think he had a longer version of the lyrics about the Vietnam veteran mm-hmm. going in and trying to get a job. Uh, and he's pared it down to just like the guy going, if it was up to me and you know, everything yeah. else that, that happens transpires, you know, um, he calls the VA, all this kind of stuff. So it's like, I really love the lyrics musically. I think it's annoying almost the D D D D D D and how repetitive it is. Yeah. That's the thing is it's like, a it's almost like a something for a baseball game or something right, less right, than it, right. it uh, less than it. Than like a big hit, and you single. hate baseball games. <laughs> <laughs> well, they make me want to work at a snack bar. <laughs> but but yeah, it feels almost like an overture. Like, hey, this is what the album's about. Yeah, and get I, ready for an album. And I love the the drums, and I love the yeah. instrumentation, and all that. I find it just a little bit annoying. And so I like I agree with you in the sense of like when it came out, I was not into it, and now I don't listen to it for pleasure as much as I go. Okay, this is setting the table. Yes. I like it more than the Nebraska version, though. I, like I feel it, like it's better I, suited for this sort of thing. Yeah, than, than the other version. There is a third. the The third version is he worked out kind of a uh, a way to do it on the acoustic tours that he did back. Yeah, I remember that the, one yeah, too. Which is which is different than the Nebraska. Did version. he do it at the Broadway show? I wonder. Can't remember. There's no way to find out. Nope. Um. But yeah, I I as far as it being a single, it's confounding to me a little bit because I but the simplicity of it, just just the fact that uh, you know, the D D D D D D that the keyboard is playing is also the melody over and over and over yeah. again is just has made me kind of anti the song, but there's so much I like about it. Yeah. That's born in the USA. Born in the USA. It went to in the US, it went to number nine. Number nine in the USA. And um it was the third single. Pretty weird. It's the third single. But the third single was like the following year, right? No, it was in October. So it was it was uh, you know. Dancing in the dark. The day before Halloween. So everyone was like getting their Bruce Springsteen costumes together. Right. Um, It was dancing in the dark. Yeah, Born in the USA was in the Broadway show. Oh, great. Yeah. And he did a, do you want to hear a little bit of that? Yeah. That version? Um, Because I think he was trying to recontextualize it for everyone. It's interesting to have a song like that. Um. 
you know, that's that's so misunderstood. You know, it, yeah. it, it to have a song come out that you're that you are like, oh man, this is really meaningful lyrically, and then to have everyone just go like, yeah, America's yeah. amazing. It's it must be such an albatross around your neck. All right, let's hear some of the Springsteen on Broadway version. end wow weird hmm. weird version i guess they just decided to not go with any lyrics <laughs> or the melody it's so strange no obviously it continues here we go yeah. okay bruce we get you can play guitar let's go pick it up first kick I took was when I hit the ground You end up like a dog that's been beat too much Till you spend half your life just covering I was born in the USA Born in the USA I got in a little hometown jam So they put a rifle in my hand Sent me off to a foreign land to go and kill the yellow man. I was born in the USA, born in the USA. Come back home. Like he got into a hometown jam, meaning like he got in trouble with the law. Yeah, they had to join. Yeah, and by the way, Springsteen's talked about he was gun. He was had every intention of dodging the draft for Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He tried. He tried saying that he was strung out on LSD. He, I think he said that he was gay as well, mm-hmm. but none of it was necessary because he failed the physical. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to go, but he's like felt guilty about it ever since, just mm-hmm. wondering who went instead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of the feelings of that are on this 
song trying to wrestle with that and wrestle with every Vietnam vet who went out there and came back and was not welcomed with the sort of welcome that they uh, expected or maybe even deserved. Right. When they listened to the song, uh, Springsteen said to Max, the drums are the most important part because they sound like bombs going off. And Max Weinberg was thrilled because he was like, I could have lost this job from that to now being told like, oh, wow, the drums sound really good. So he felt good about that. Good for him. Good for him, you know? All right, should we move on to song number two? Everyone deserves to have their their boss say something nice about them. And and that's why, Adam, let me me just say that I think you're doing a good job on this (laughs) podcast. Thanks, boss. (laughs) All right, song two. This is Cover Me by Bruce Springsteen. So much more commercial sounding. So this song was written for Donna Summer. I can totally hear that. And so it's not, it's, it's kind of like not, first of all, the guitar just is like crazy. Springsteen's yeah. going off on these like licks. And again, the synth is like. Right. right and the, right backup, the backing vocals. Oh, yeah. Did Donna Summer end up using it? No. So what happens is they're cutting this record, and he's like, oh, uh, Quincy Jones, Q, father of Rashida. Yes. Uh, asks Springsteen, hey, do you, do you mind writing a song for Donna Summer? Yeah. And Springsteen's like, I love Donna Summer. Yeah. Um, and so he writes this, and they go and cut it. And John Lando goes like whoa, 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 whoa what the fuck are you doing dude this is yeah, a hit. don't give this away <laughs> and and springsteen's like nah it's no good puts it away never really thinks about it for the record and then they're putting together the record like as it's gonna come out and um someone says Hey, what about that song "Cover Me" that you almost gave to Donna Summer? And they're like, "Nah." And, and Max Weinberg goes like, "Oh, the drums aren't even any good on it, really, because they're really unpolished." Because he was just doing it as a demo. Yeah. And John Lando's like, "I really think this is a hit. Can we put it on? Can we put it on?" And so they put it on. So, so this is that version. This is that version. Wow. Second single. It's so good. It's another top ten hit. It's um, fucking awesome. Definitely the like the hardest song on the record. Yeah. It's so catchy and good. 
Yeah, Max Weinberg sort of doing like almost a disco beat. Um, yeah, I mean, Springsteen also, something that's interesting is he was always a big defender of disco because he was so offended by the like thinly veiled racism, racism yeah. of the anti-disco thing. Yeah, you ever see David Bowie's uh, on MTV talking about that as well? Yeah. Yeah. Like those two guys were totally, very, and they're so right. It was yeah. so fucking racist. Like all the people who are just like disco sucks yeah. is all because like, well, we don't need to get no, into no. But, uh, the whole history of disco. Obviously, that's our separate podcast. The disco, the, the whole history, history of disco, disco. The, the whole history, <laughs> the entire history. Um, but yeah, cover me. I always liked that song when I when I heard it. I yeah. It's, it's, Great. It's a it's it's and it's not a rocker like a rocker that of the type of any of the songs on the river either. Right. It's just such a weird like wow. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, not a song that you would really associate with Springsteen, but no. it sounds like a single. And I remember it being everywhere at yeah. the time. Um Yep. Good shit. We like it. Great shit. Love yeah. that song. All right. Let's go to track three on side one. This is Darlington County by County. Bruce Springsteen. Sticks. Stick. It's actually, yeah, it's brilliant. That the, I always thought, I mean, lately when I've been listening to this, I mean, like, it's so weird that Darlington County and working on the highway come so early in the album. But it actually makes total sense. Like lyrically, you mean? Well, just kind of tone-wise, Born in the USA and Cover Me are so serious. Uh, even though Cover Me is like a pop song, it's kind of this harder, harder, yeah, more, more kind of, dark song then so they needed something like either yeah. this or glory days which is a perfect yeah. slot for it darlington county reminds me of songs from the river yes it's, you know hundreds like old bruce springsteen hundred percent like way. fun party song yeah yeah so it all, almost you're right it needs something to be like hey this isn't a totally yeah. new version of bruce remember us yeah. we're fun exactly uh, i think you're right about working on a highway too um, I like this song. I like hearing it live. Yeah, too. it's cool. It's cool. Song. Yeah, but it is. It is the most like old Springsteen, and mm-hmm. 
and I like it for that. Yeah, you know? me too. Um, it was not a single. I I felt like maybe could have been. I feel like it was played a lot. Just mm-hmm. I'm sure non-singles were played on the radio too because I remember once when I finally got this album like in high school, knowing Darlington County um, was probably played on whatever local radio station. Was. Right. And uh, I've heard him play it a lot in concerts. Right. En concerto, as they mm-hmm. say. Um, that's uh, a song that that's uh, uh, live in the studio. Very few overdubs. Sounds so, like it. Yeah, so just them having fun. Um, all right, let's hear, we were talking about it, uh, Working on the Highway. This is track four on side one by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> This is a song. It, it was written for Nebraska. It was called Child Bride. Uh, a downbeat, somber song about a guy who gets involved with an underage girl then is arrested for it. Hmm. He How nice. <laughs> he comes back and turns it into a rockabilly song about a guy who's arrested for getting involved in an underage girl and then uh, is working on the highway. Kind of like and ironically, it reminds me of like a Buddy Holly sort of. Yeah, it does sound like a Buddy thing. Holly thing. Uh, like very subversive, though. Like where if you're not paying attention to the lyrics, it's like, yeah, working on the highway. That's fun. I wasn't hearing the child bride uh, undertones of it. Listening to the lyrics, right. is it still in there? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. So it's like a trick that he's done to make everyone like sort of bop along yeah. with this like. You know how Nebraska is about a bunch of criminals. Yeah. It's essentially about a criminal who... Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. What do we think of Working on the Highway? It's my least favorite on the album. Is it? I think it's important because it kind of... You don't like the rockabilly type stuff anyway. uh, I don't even really think of this as that, even though it is. I think the kind of baseball rink organ is important that they're introducing it here and then use it later on Mm -hmm. so much. So it kind of definitely feels a part of this album so i don't know if i would like take it off the album or anything like that but what do you like better do you like cadillac ranch or working on the highway working on the highway you you can't change the theme song again to this (laughs) to working on the highway i might you never know it feels more throwaway than anything else on the album it does feel throw i mean if it had come out and been a single would it have been popular maybe who knows? Know. And then maybe we'd be saying like classic Springsteen yeah, song or something. But uh, it's—I don't think it's offensive or anything in terms of like I'm—I never 
listen to it and go like, ugh, that song. Yeah. I like it. and I, But I like classic sort of sounds a little more than you do. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Of like old 50s rockabilly. Right, kind of, right, you, right. You hate the boomer nostalgia shit that was going on in the 80s. Maybe I was just a little overloaded by it. Like there was So you didn't like much. the bicentennial? You didn't like... <laughs> That's right. 50s nostalgia. I was a nihilist at 11 <laughs> years old. So you were around reading Camus? That's right. Okay, um, let's hear a song now by Bruce Springsteen. This is track five on side one. This is a song called Downbound Train. And it, of course, is by Bruce Springsteen. think of downbound train i love it you do oh man this song's great you are you not fond of my least favorite but really yeah on the album i mean oh yeah what do you like tell me about what you like about (laughs) no no i'm I'm not saying like to defend it but i i i really want to know what it it sounds very much a part of this album and and sounds like a it does not sound like the river Right, or right. Well, darkness you, on the edge of town. You got the synth in the in the background that yeah. starts in like the second verse or something like that, which it, kind of contemporizes it with everything else. I think it just has this great momentum and catchy melody, and it's just I think it's awesome. And I love the the guitar sound on it too. I would love to hear the uh, Nebraska version because me too. So this was one this of was the one Nebraska? that they successfully translated from Nebraska. I would love to hear. Everyone that. says the Nebraska version is somber and yeah. And, uh, yeah. Some people say uh, uh, Robert Kirkpatrick says it's the best song in the album. Springsteen biographer Dave Marsh says it's the weakest song he's released since the second album. Incredibly sloppy. Huh. Weird. Uh, I feel like it's just tight and straightforward and yeah i don't know weird uh i i'm not sure why i've i've never really felt like it's up to 
the level of the other songs, but it's again not not offensive to me. Where I'm sitting here going like, God, turn that down, turn that music down. Okay, this is the last song on side one. This is another top ten single. This is a song called "I'm on Fire," and it's by Bruce Springsteen on "You Spring and Springsteen" on my beat. To number six. Uh, what number single was this? This was the fourth. This is fourth. When I first heard this, I remember being sort of like over the album, you know, and going yeah. like, okay, yeah, we get it. Bruce Springsteen, we get it. Yeah. And then this single came out and me going like, oh, yeah, this is cool. It's really smart to... To release this fourth because it is a completely different vibe if someone hasn't bought the album yet everything they've heard from it is totally different than, yeah. from this this i really love this song Me this too. is one of my favorites um was uh, uh he just kind of laid down the guitar part and everyone uh roy bitten started playing that synth part that synth part is so just holding ass. on the note it's great um love it so much it was a song that Springsteen went back and forth. He was going to cut it until the no, very Bruce, last second. Don't do it. Don't do it, Bruce. <laughs> Someone's got to take Bruce, take the albums away from Bruce. <laughs> I know, man. Although, you know, worked out a lot. And on guess the what? And he didn't cut it. So chill <laughs> out, bro. Yeah, chill out. Don't sit here going like, I'm going to cut it. I'm going to cut it. When we know you're not going to cut no, it. You're not going to cut that shit. Um, great end to track or side one rather um, as well. Weird that this next song was not a single. It's so strange because it feels like a giant hit. Feels like a hit. This is the first track on side two. This is No Surrender. This is by Bruce Springsteen.
This was, uh, it did chart on the mainstream rock chart. It did. Getting up to 29. Yeah. Even though it wasn't officially. It wasn't a single, yeah. But uh, the mainstream rock chart was the chart where they would play album tracks and sort of chart uh-huh. those a little more. Um, this was in the batch of songs he was recording, like more towards the end when he was kind of like, maybe I'll just put out a solo record. Yeah. And trash all the stuff like Born in the USA and all that. And people were like, Bruce, come on. Um, and this was sort of like also written in the wake of Little Steven departing and him processing his feelings about it. Um, and Little Steven actually convinced him, like, you should put this on the record. Yeah, this was a real push that Little Steven made for this one, right? Because yeah. it's about the band and sticking together and right. all that. And Springsteen felt it was glib or something. Yeah. It was kind of like, I don't know. It's like too on surface. the nose, yeah, maybe? Yeah, too surface level. So the Little Steven was like, come on, bro. Come on, bro. Because <laughs> they opened their current don't make tour. Don't really hammer your ass. They opened a current tour with this song. Oh, yeah. It's great. No surrender. Love it. Um, not a not a hit, but uh, could have been a hit. Hundred percent. Could have been the eighth hit. Um, but you know what? Also, could have been a hit is track two on side two. This is a song called Bobby Jean, and it's by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> So this song is about Little Steven. Yep. When they play it live, they cut to Little Steven on the big screen. Everyone cheers. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's fun. it's about, like he's talking about, we've known each other since we were 16. I wish I would have known I would have said goodbye to you. You know, he's like processing his grief uh, yeah. of Little Steven leaving the band. Um, this also, this and No Surrender were written after he was kind of fucking around with all these other songs. He was recording solo. And he was like, maybe I'll just do a solo record. And then Chucky Plot says, like, dude, get back to Born in the USA. Yeah. And it's, it's a monster blockbuster album just waiting to yeah, happen. There's probably seven top ten singles on it. Um, he was and, right. He was, man, he was on the right on the money. 
Um, so then Springsteen was like, I still wasn't convinced and was like, send me a, a an acetate of the record I think we should put out. And John Lando sends it to him and he's like, yeah, you're right. This is not a record. So he goes, okay, let's put out a rock. By the way, Clarence, here we go. Yeah. One of the only Clarence yeah. sightings on the record, really. Um, so he goes, okay, let's get back in the studio. Let's, and he cuts No Surrender and Bobby Jean, like now knowing he's m- going to make a rock record. Yeah. This is one of the, I, th- I think, best songs that is not a single on, on the record. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like this song. I, I would choose No Surrender as probably that one. The the one that mm-hmm. the non single hit. It is it, it's it's maybe a little like facile of just like ding ding ding, you know, yeah, like it, rock and roll a little bit. It doesn't feel as modern as some of the other songs. It sounds but, like Darlington County, like one of those kind yeah, of older yeah, river kind of, Yeah, Yeah, but it's cool. It's yeah, awesome. So maybe it is like technically you know why it's not a single because it would have come out and people would have been like Oh yeah, like the river kind of been there, done that. B T D T. All right, this Love next it, song though. though, yeah, great song. This next song is track three on side two. This was a single. This is "I'm Going Down" by Bruce Springsteen. Top ten hit, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm going down. Uh, great melody, I think. I don't yeah. know, just kind of. I love per- it. Just kind of perfect in a way. Yeah. Uh, and does, sounds like does, new and fresh. Yeah, it doesn't sound old. Doesn't yeah. sound like old Bruce Springsteen somehow, even though it's using, I don't know, just guitar and yeah. bass and drums and hand claps and stuff. But also, pers- his vocals are so front and center. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and I do think that he is talking about going down, if you know what I mean. I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? I think he's admitted that he's talking about Kunalingus. What? 
I think. Anyway, um, that went all the way up to number nine. Yeah, and these are just all big hits. Yeah, so it's these crazy. last four songs are huge hits. And um, this is track four. One, two, three, four. Yeah, yeah. track four on side two. Oh, there are 12 songs on this record. Yeah. Shit. All right. Um, this is Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. Iconic song. Steven in the back there, uh, singing the background vocals as well as the chatter. Adam, it's crazy that, because isn't this like one of the ones that they recorded early on? Yeah. Yeah. And then he was thinking of throwing it away. And that it was just sitting there for a couple of years. This is, I think, tied for first is my favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Is it really? Yeah. Tied with what? With, uh, 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 uh. From the river, we talked about it on the river. It's uh, out in the streets, right? I I just love this song, it's and great. I, I I maybe didn't pay attention to it all that much because I thought it was like literally singing about actual glory days, yeah, and going like, isn't it great to have like to love your life? Yeah, and I wasn't hearing the sort of that it's actually kind of sad. Yeah, a sad song about people missing, <laughs> like you know, their being, chance being hot shit in high school, yeah. and. and then uh, looking back on those as the glory days and realizing the rest of their life is not going to be as good. Yeah. But but I remember where I finally came around on this song was when Letterman, uh, oh yeah, his final show on NBC. Uh, it was all secret of who was going to be on it. That's right. And then he brought out Springsteen, and Springsteen did Glory Days, and like stood on the desk and that's right and played this song, and I was just like, holy shit, this rules. Yeah. And that's one of the things that turned me around on Springsteen. Yeah. And made me like him after that. Yeah. Um, and just 
it's so funny because even though it is kind of a sad song, when you listen to it in concert, you are sitting there going like, oh, yes, yeah. glory days. They're- Everyone stands up. It's, yeah. uh, it's great. So good. Little Steven says that he really wanted this to be included because he's like, you need to show you have a sense of humor, you know? It's like, you need to have fun. That's a big part of your personality. And I think Springsteen, because he's like going through what he's going through, he's like, no, I want everything to be important and heavy. Yeah. But it is important and heavy. It just sounds fun. It sounds fun. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's a great, great uh, juxtaposition of sort of heavier lyrics, although done with a wry sense of humor and then a really fun melody. Yeah, great video too. Yeah. He's like doing some acting in it. (laughs) It's too bad he didn't star in that Paul Schrader movie. I know, man. Okay, so now this is track five on side two. Right. And this is the huge hit single. (laughs) And it's the second to last song on the record. This went to number two. Didn't hit number one. crazy. Um, but this was the lead-off single. This is Dancing in the Dark. So I think I think you are mistaken. They're not electronic drums, but I think the reason you think that is because of the electronic bass that's playing that's overshadowing the mm. actual bass. Mm. But then also the fact that uh, Max was... They, they did a few versions of this, and then John Lando came up and, and talked to the band, and he goes, hey, could you just play this like Beat It? which was a huge single, Michael Jackson's Beat It. Right. Um, and Max was like, oh, I understand what you mean. Just like very straight, no fills. Uh, so he's just playing like boom, boom. Maybe that's never, what it Never is. doing any fills. It sounds really like artificially yeah. short, uh, contained. It's, it sort of sounds like what Huey Lewis did on the sports record. Yes. Where they took electronic bass. That's right. Um sort of made their sound feel contemporary. Yeah. But yeah, Max is just going... And so they did it like Beat It, and it becomes a huge... They wanted like something that could be a dance record. Yeah. And they made remixes of it and, and dance remixes. And... Uh, it's, it's so good. And I always kind of was like, oh yeah, dance pop, and never really when it came out paid it that much attention to the song yeah. itself but hearing like a bunch of covers some great covers of it by like Tegan and Sarah yeah, yeah. and people like it's S- such a good melody the melody is amazing and the video was just huge huge and Courtney Cox 
So, so if you haven't seen the video, check adorable. out the video. Yeah. Like, it's great. So the video, uh, Springsteen, he is not playing guitar in it because they wanted him to yeah. dance. So he's yeah. doing that sort of yeah. AB sway dance. Yeah. And he did what he would do in concert at the time, which is he would bring up someone from the yeah. crowd to dance with. And it's Courtney Cox in the video. And yeah. she looks surprised and then does the like swinging side yeah. to side dance with him. It made an instant star out of her. But it's amazing because watching the, the video today, it was like she's in the video, like two quick shots of her and then her dancing totaling like i don't know 15 seconds right. and suddenly she's a major star. yeah because yeah everyone knew who she was yeah but what's weird is so then she she does friends in 92 so that's like eight years later 94 94 oh right she did ace ventura she must have done something in between because yeah, everyone she was just knew like who she family was. ties oh and, family ties yeah, that's yeah. what it was yeah 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 um, and then you hear Clarence at the very, very ending. Yeah. Ba -da -ba -doo, ba -da -ba -doo. Huge, huge song. Huge song. Um, yeah, it was definitely one where, uh, he, they weren't even going to put it on the record and he just wrote it at the last second. And in fact, they had to stop the mixing of the record so they could lay it down. It's crazy. And it's crazy to think that it's like man on the moon with automatic for the people it's crazy to right. think of it existing without that last and, second song and i almost feel like that's why it's towards the end of the record is it wasn't ever even going to be on yeah. there so they're like i don't know just put it on at the end it is a weird thing to follow glory days with it does feel a little tacked on like yeah. it feels like it could be more thoughtfully placed in the i wonder if the album. if we should resequence this record probably i've always i've felt like it's not exactly right it's okay. weird yeah um, this is the last song on the record, and this is called My Hometown, another hit single. this song like really solidified him in mainstream culture as being this like voice of the working right. man thing 
Yeah, it starts off sort of nostalgic about like, yeah. oh, my hometown is great. It's great to be. But then he talks about a lot of his feelings of, uh, it talks about racial violence and the economic yeah. depression. Um, he was sort of talking, ab- I think he was talking about a certain like race riot that hmm. happened in his hometown at a hmm. certain point. Um, and then his father like driving him around the town we talked about that on the yeah. previous episode and being like all proud of where they're from and stuff even though uh you know it's it everyone seems to have a dead end kind yeah. of existence there yeah very bittersweet yeah but a very important song on the record and for the times too right in the middle of kind of reagan's america and yeah trickle down economics yeah. a lot of stuff not working out for people this went all the way to number six. Um, you too performed this in the Unforgettable Fire tour. Oh, they did. Yeah, interesting. It'd be interesting to hear that version. I've never heard that. Um, yeah, this is one of those cornerstones, one of the ten poles of the record that yeah. that they felt like um, had to be on it, um, and it closes the record out. I feel like we should make our top 10 albums of the 80s yeah that would be fun yeah um this would not be on mine just kidding <laughs> jk 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 um do you want to hear a selection of like uh some of the b-sides sure um because a lot of the b-sides are some of these songs that he was working on by himself um and that was, they just that they just like, trashed yeah, and yeah. said, let's make them B-sides. But um, um, this is uh, Pink Cadillac. This is the B-side to Dancing in the Dark. Well, No thanks. Too retro, right? Wouldn't have fit on the record, but he was thinking about it for a while. Um, Like the subject matter of Pink Cadillac and the sort of rockability. Who cares? You don't like it. Is that our new theme song? (laughs) Maybe. All right. This was uh, the Born in the USA B-side. This is Shut Out the Light. Was this a Nebraska session? Um, Sounds a little more produced than that. He did. He did this in the Hollywood Hills. This is when he was thinking of doing a solo mm. record. He got out down on Main Street and went into a local bar. He bought a drink and found a seat. 
corner in the dark Well, she called up her mama so I think he put out Nebraska and was like, maybe I should just keep going in this vein mm-hmm. and forget about all these hit rock songs. Yeah. And everyone was like, these things that generate income. Yeah, could we just make these B-sides, please, Bruce? But sounds cool. Yeah. But I think he made the right choice eventually. Yeah. Um, this is the B-side to um I'm on fire and this is a song called uh Johnny Bye Bye which anyone who has a kid named Johnny they've experienced saying bye bye oh, yeah, bye bye well, she drew out all her money from a southern trust and put her little boy on a greyhound bus leaving Memphis with a guitar in his hand on a one-way ticket to the promise of land But hey, little girl with the red dress on It's a party tonight down in Memphis town I'll be going down there if you need a ride A mine on the radio says Elvis Presley's died Another one of these solo things he was mm. considering making the record. I could see why, like, listening to this and then Born in the USA, people were like, dude. Dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, this is the B-side to Glory Days. This is Stand On It. Yeah, he just had to get this shit out of his system. Yeah. Rock, 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 rock yeah. and roll. Rock, 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 rock and roll. Totally. Um, this is the B-side to I'm Going Down. This is Janie, Don't You Lose Heart. Better. Yeah. Sounds like the E Street Band. Yeah. That's uh, Nils Lofgren, who we'll talk about in a second, doing mm-hmm. backing vocals. Okay, so there's one more B-side, which was a live cut of a Tom Waits song, Jersey Girl. This was the B-side to Cover Me. Uh, this is also on the live record that they put out. Uh, the box set. The 1975 to 85 yeah. Yeah, box set. Um, a lot of people think that Springsteen wrote this because it was played more than the Tom Waits version was, but this is a Tom Waits song. 
clapping gets very off time yeah <laughs> right around there it's too slow for a crowd to clap along with it you know musicians what I mean? yeah musicians loved tom waits back in the yeah 80s. not that they still Shouldn't don't have, it's just yeah. he became huge but yeah still my favorite punchline of any everyone knows tom waits at the dump Wait, what's that from? It's a story he tells uh, about taking all the kids in his school on a field trip. And he took them to the guitar center and no one rec- He's like sitting there posing yeah. by the guitars and no one recognizes him. Then he takes them to the dump. The minute they arrive, someone goes, hey, it's Tom Waits. He goes, <laughs> Everyone knows Tom Waits at the dump. Funny. Oh, is it? Yeah, super funny. Okay, so that's Jersey Girl. Um, there's one other song of note, which was the only other song that he would release commercially. Uh, this was off the We Are the World record. And this became a hit. Uh, not a hit hit, but like played on album-oriented mm-hmm. rock. This is Trapped. Like oh, Meadowlands. yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's a studio version of this too somewhere. Isn't I don't there? think no? so. Yeah, this is the only version that came out. Huh. I mean, maybe they recorded one at some point, but this it's keyboard so, uh, sound became theirs like yeah. immediately. This is just basically "I'm on Fire." Yeah, part two. Yeah. Other than the chorus, I think he he really goes for it. Well, it seems like I'm caught up in your trap again. And it seems like I'll be wearing the same old chain Good will conquer evil And the truth will set me free And I know someday I'll find the key And I know somewhere I'll find the key Well, it seems like I've been playing the game way too long and it seems the game I've played has made you strong But when the game is over I won't walk out a loser Yeah, I know that I'll walk out of here again Yeah, I know someday I'll walk out of here again But now Pretty good. Yeah. Maybe it's they, awesome. Uh, I've seen him play this. Really? Yeah. Were you one of the guys going, I was on, Yeah. Well, no, I was on stage. Uh, on stage? Playing a bunch of different instruments. Like Courtney Cox? Yep. By the way, when I saw Bruce Springsteen at Dodger Stadium one year, BJ Novak, uh, I was at a party with him, and I think whoever he was going with dropped out. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, do you want to go to Bruce Springsteen right now? And I was like, yes, I do. Uh, BJ, by the way, 
was like, I don't think I know a single song uh-huh. by him. And so I would look over at him during the concert and he'd be like shaking his head like, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. And then finally- It's like born in the USA. Finally, they play Dancing in the Dark and he looks at me and nods. Like, yeah. This one I know. <laughs> Ever, the whole rumor was, we're in LA, maybe Courtney Cox will- be there and get up on stage and right. dance with him. <laughs> and it was like a realistic rumor that people were sort of like, yeah, this might happen. Of course it's not going to happen. So funny. I didn't. wonder if she's ever done that. She should once. I mean, th- wasn't that the rumor when Billy Joel was at the Hollywood Bowl too? Is that because Christy Brinkley was in the front row? Like, oh, really? Maybe she'll get up and That's like so dance during Uptown Girl. Um, okay, so we should, we should mention because Little Steven's out and Nils Lofgren is in. And he's playing guitar now. Ah, and he's he's in the Edible Street Band, and um, he, I mean, pretty amazing uh, CV on on Nils. He played with uh, uh, Crazy Horse. He's yeah. He's on After the Gold Rush. Yeah. He's one of the guitars on After the Gold Rush. Just yeah, like you can. If retire you're gonna lose that. little Steven, you may as well get someone as incredible as Nils yeah. Lofgren. So Nils Lofgren goes on this crazy tour. What happens is this comes out seven huge hit singles. They go on a arena. T- I mean, it's a state. I think it's a stadium tour. They're playing. It, yeah. it starts as an arena tour. By the end of it, they're playing Dodger Stadium. Yeah. They're playing like all these uh, you know, huge baseball stadiums. Um, it takes like a full year. I think they're out there on the road and, um, you know, they're playing these amazing shows. Finally, people are sort of, the whole world is paying attention to one of the best live acts. Yeah. And so they're putting on the classic Bruce Springsteen show for hours and hours and people are, you know, being blown away by it. And, uh, at the end of it all, then you have Bruce Springsteen, uh, exhausted and wondering what to do next. And that's where we leave it. That's where we leave it. What do we think of Born in the USA? I love Born in the USA. It's one of my favorite uh, albums of his. All right. How about you? I, uh, it's, it's, my feelings on it are so wrapped up in it being the first one that I ever heard yeah. that, that I find such joy in going back and rediscovering a lot of the songs and going, wow, this is so good. Yeah. Um, I've never been able to approach it as a work of art that I have come to fresh. Yeah. Um, and again, the title track is one of those where I kind of am like, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, I mean, so much of it is connected to pop culture at the time. It's hard to separate it from that. Yeah. But just but so much great and, and songs. Again, having Glory Days on it is yeah. just you. If you have Glory Days on anything, I'm gonna like it. Yeah, even on a piece of paper, just written yeah. down, just just the words, two and words. It doesn't even have to be Glory. It days. could even be Days Glory. It, it, you don't even have to use the word days or glory. Just write something down on a piece of paper. Yeah. I'll probably enjoy you it. You love it. All yeah. right, let's uh, wrap this up. Okay, we're going to see you next time. This is a song called Pink Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see you next time on You Spring and Spring Scene on my beat. Until then, I hope that you found what you're looking for. Bye. Ooh.